Today, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been promised something, but then you had to wait for the promise to be fulfilled? It wasn't like, hey, um, uh, I promised to do this, and then immediately it happens. Maybe you had to wait. There's examples of that all throughout our life, if we look at it. Uh, maybe uh, back in January or right after Christmas, you saw a commercial on TV from, I don't know, someplace like Planet Fitness that said, hey, get ready for your summer bod now, um, and, and if you join up now for, for $10 and you can, uh, you can buy summer, you'll be ready, um, and you're still waiting uh, on that promise of that summer bod to roll around. The promise hasn't been fulfilled yet. Okay, um, we, we, this, this, this type of scenario creeps up uh, in relationships. Guys, if you think back to the day where you dropped to a knee or you tried to be more creative than any other male who had ever lived on the face of the earth uh, and, and come up with a, a slick way of proposing, uh, and she says yes, right, in one sense, there's a promise made there, but that promise isn't fulfilled until months or a year, years later um, when she says, I do. Sometimes you have to live in sort of that in-between, promises made and promises fulfilled. Maybe uh, you see this in your workplace. You have been promised a promotion. You've been promised that you're going to get a bump up in pay, more responsibility, and more income, more benefits. And it hasn't happened yet. And you're sort of lingering in that in-between time. Maybe it's health-related. Your doctor comes in and says, I, I hate to tell you this, but you have cancer. But don't worry, this kind of cancer, this kind of sickness, this disease is treatable, but it's going to take a while. And right now, even though that doctor promised that one day it's going to be better, right now you're in that in-between when your body is just riddled uh, with, with treatment and sickness, and you're just stuck in the in-between. And it's tough sometimes in that in-between time. We see that in Scripture. We see the same thing in Scripture. If you remember um, back in the Old Testament, God made a promise to this guy named Abraham. He says, you're going to be a great nation. The whole world's going to be blessed through you and your descendants. There's only one thing. Abraham was old. And his wife, who was just a few years behind him, uh, so also old, but she could not have children. But God made this promise to, her, to them that you're, going to be, uh, that you're going to be a great nation. All of earth is going to be blessed through you. So there was a big delay between the promise made and the promise fulfilled. And really, the whole Old Testament is about that. The promise made to Abraham really isn't fulfilled until Jesus Christ comes on the scene and gives up his life uh, for his people. We see judge after judge being raised up and gives them just a little bit of taste of what the promise is going to be like and what redemption looks like and what freedom looks like, but it's not until Jesus came that that promise is fully realized for Israel. Isn't our salvation sort of like that as well? Remember the cones we had up about a month ago? Right, this, this time over here when we, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when He justifies us and we are freed from the consequences of our sin, from the penalties of our sin, right, in this place over here, when Jesus finally calls us home, whether that's one by one or whether that's when, he's, when Jesus comes to redeem and to reclaim His church, and we are freed from the very presence of sin, but in between these two milestones, we live in high highs and low lows, Right? We get whiplash from riding the roller coaster sometimes, right? and that in-between can be tough. It can be heavy. 
It can be uncertain and worrisome and anxiety-ridden, sickness-infested, confusion ringing loud. And that in-between time, David calls in Psalm 23, the darkest valley. And in Psalm 57, this is a dark valley for David. In your Bible, depending on the version or the, 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 the edition even of the Bible that you read from, it may give you a hint at the beginning about what this is about. But in mine it says, when he fled before Saul into the cave. And that tells us a little bit about why David is writing this psalm. You see, back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, David was anointed king. Samuel anointed him and he was king over Israel. But then just a few chapters later in in 1 Samuel uh, 22 and 24, David is on the run. The king is on the run. he's, He's anointed, but nobody's acknowledging that he is king. He's a fugitive. So were God's promises, was that anointing true? Yeah. But it wasn't time for that to be fulfilled yet. You see, when David fled from Saul into the cave, he knew God had anointed him, but now he was being hunted by another king. And those who were with him, 1 Samuel chapter 22 gives us a little bit of a picture who they were. At best, they were, from 1 Samuel 22, uh, every man who was desperate, in debt, discontented, rallied around him, and he became their leader. So at best, they were weary trodden as well beaten down. At worst, they were just outright criminals, men who were fleeing fleeing from justice, men who were, were looking for somewhere to belong, and they found a leader in David. And his most loyal men, those around him, were telling him, giving him advice that makes a whole lot of sense to us about how he can get out of this scenario that keeps repeating itself where Saul is happy with him and then in almost like the click of a finger, right, uh, Saul is ticked off at him and chasing him and wants to kill him. And there's opportunity after opportunity after opportunity where David could have ended the cycle. And his most trusted people, those closest to him, some of those who would become his mighty men later, are saying to him, end it. And this is one of those situations. In 22 and 24, there's two different occasions where David is in, in a cave, but on one of those occasions, Saul gets so close to David that David's able to reach up and to cut off the hem of his robe. What a perfect opportunity in the darkness of a cave to end this cycle, to take matters into his own hands so that Saul will no longer be able to to, to pursue him, to chase him, to kill him. And we would have said, hey, that makes sense. Samuel anointed you king. God chose you. But in this situation, David was not going to step out of God's promise? Or was he going to push God's timing? Now, there there are times in David's life where we have to use discernment when we choose to follow him or not. He was not a perfect man. He sinned mightily. But time and time again, his life is characterized by this being a man after God's own heart. And we see that more perfectly in in this setting because David is not going to step out and take matters into his own hand. Did David wonder if God's promises were true? 
Well, he's human, and so I have to imagine that, yeah, there were some times where he's hiding in the wilderness and hiding out in caves where he wondered when or if this is going to happen. But here, David remains true. Kings live in palaces. Here, he was hiding in a cave. Are God's promises true? Do you ever wonder this? Do you ever wonder if the promises made by God are true? Now, we know that we're supposed to. We know, we, we know that we're supposed to believe that, that God is in heaven and that God is supreme, that God is love, that in Jesus you have been given every sort of spiritual blessing, that you are safe from eternity, that there's nothing in this life that can threaten your eternity in, in His presence in eternal safety. You know that, that, that God the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You know this. We read about it. We sing about it. We pray about it. We rejoice in it. But is it true? On a dark, sleepless night, when fear crowds in, when you, the only things running through your head are worry about your family and about finances and about your country and about your job, is it true? When your work week is just crowded and there's no way that you can get everything that is expected of you done, when the pressures are just mounting, when the weight is heavy, is it true? Is it true in the workplace where those around you have no interest in your faith who ridicule you, who mock you because of your faith. They think that you're using a crutch. They think that you're narrow-minded because you believe in this person called Jesus. Are the promises of God true then? Sometimes we let God's promises get lost in the haze of earthly pressures. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of highs in Tony Foreman's life, and there's a lot of lows in Tony Foreman's life. Sometimes I don't appreciate these enough. Sometimes I dwell on these too often and too intensely. But sometimes, if I'm being honest with you, the promises of God get lost in the haze of the in-between. So, what happens when that gap between heaven and earth gets very wide? We know heaven the realities. Man, we trust this. We trust God's Word. You know, men and women who we trust and who we love share this with it. We trust in that. But then those heavenly realities are marred by earthly experiences and pressures. James May, who actually is quoted in the book that we recommended to you uh, last week, as he's speaking of this Psalm 57, he, he, he says that these are times of trouble when the distance between the transcendental truth of God's rule and the actuality of present history is experienced. That is where David was living when he wrote this psalm. Promises of God, <laughs> I'm hiding out in a cave. Is it true? But even in this in-between, in this moment, David trusted in God's promises. And church, today I want us to learn from David because we too 
can trust in God's promises. So how can we better stand on the promises of God while, while waiting for their final fulfillment in this in-between time? We've talked about this a lot over the last couple months. We, we, we talked about sections of Scripture like, like first or 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, where Paul encourages us to take every thought captive in obedience for, to Jesus Christ. Every thought. So, so how do we stand on the promises? It's by reining in our thoughts and our mentality section by section, minute by minute. We can go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where we have this picture of our Savior hanging on the cross, and we're reminded that for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame. It wasn't nails that held Him to the cross. It was His love for His people and His redemptive work to set them free. And the joy that was set before Him was seeing those who were weary and tired coming to Him, calling to Him, surrendering and taking refuge in Him. In Second Peter uh, chapter 1, he reminds us there that, that we have been given all that we need for life and for godliness, so we cling to those. Last week, we, we took a quick trip back to Exodus chapter 33, where Moses was, he was having this conversation with God. God was wanting him to go and, and to lead and, and to go to a different place, and God's like, but you don't understand. I don't want to go there. I don't want to lead these people if you're not going with me because it's futile. So God, please give me, give me assurance that you're going to go with me. And God's like, hey, what you asked, what you said, I promise. And, and Moses just cries out to him, God, show me your glory. Maybe it's Ephesians 5.18 where we are reminded to, to, to call out for the Holy Spirit to fill us. Maybe we need to drink in Jesus and be quenched instead of taking whatever advice the world is offering us. Next week as we look at Psalm 65, we're going we're to compare and we're going to draw in Jesus' encounter at the Samaritan well with, that, with a woman. And he, what does he say to her? If you'd only asked me, I would have given you water and you would never be thirsty again. If we could drink in more of Jesus. Maybe we should consume more Scripture instead of whatever junk food the world is trying to, to serve us. Maybe we should pray instead of panic. Maybe we should worship instead of worry. Maybe we should devote ourselves more to God's Word than this messing around uh, with self-help, cultural-based shenanigans. Maybe we should offer more thankfulness to God instead of, God, if I just had this, everything would be awesome. In the words of Daniel, or David in Psalm 57, be gracious to me. And God, be gracious to me, for I take refuge in you. I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. I call to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He reaches down from heaven and saves me, challenging the one who tramples me. And God sends his faithful love and truth. I am surrounded by lions. I lie down with those who devour men. Their teeth are spears and arrows. Their tongues are sharp swords. God, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. They prepared a net for my steps, and I was despondent. They dug a pit ahead of me, but they fell into it. My heart is confident, God. My heart is confident. 
I will sing. I will sing praises. Wake up, my soul. Wake up. I will wake up the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your faithful love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. God, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. Look at what a cave is like in God's loving hands. For many, it looked like David was hiding. And David says, I take refuge. I take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Where the world was saying, do this, David is saying, I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to take cover in the refuge of my God. He, he, he goes on, and this isn't a God who is just out there sort of watching the world unravel. No, this is a God who reaches down from heaven and saves me. Man, the, that, that reach looks a whole lot like Jesus Christ coming in the form of a child, living a perfect life and dying for you and me. And God sends his faithful love and truth. Man, and what David talks about, I'm surrounded by lions, and now we realize that he was in a cave with the despondent, with those escaping, trying to escape justice, means a little bit more now. I am surrounded by lions. I lie down with those who devour men. But in all of this, David says, my heart is confident. This isn't the picture I had of what my kingship was going to be like, God, but my heart is confident. I am surrounded by criminals rather than sitting in the court of wise men, but my heart is confident. I'm supposed to be sitting on a throne in a palace, but now my pillow is a rock and I'm hiding in a cave, but I'm going to sing praises. David in this moment, in this season of his life, Realize that if God made a promise, it was going to come true. He wasn't going to take things into his own hands. He wasn't going to try to manipulate the situation to, to, to the, in a way that made sense to him and those around him. He was going to rest. He was going to stand on the promises of God. How do we stand on the promises of God, church? Well, it's impossible to stand on the promises unless you are standing in his presence. It's impossible to stand on the promises of God unless you are standing in the presence. And the only way that you can stand in the presence of God is by the way, the truth, the life. Jesus himself said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So how do we do this? Well, Matthew chapter 11 that we read at the beginning of service, Jesus is talking here about, about how we can do this. And in these verses... He reminds us. He tells us who is worthy. Remember 1 Samuel chapter 22, those who flock to David? Jesus offers that same audience an invitation in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, take my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 explicitly, explicitly tells us who qualifies 
to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not the perfect. It's not the worthy. It's not those who have it all together. It's not those who, who live a better life than the guy next door. It's not those who give money ridiculously, who serve with every hour that they're given. He says, all who labor and are heavy laden. And the invitation to them, to you, is come and I will give you rest. You don't have to unburden yourself. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row. You don't have to know all Bible trivia and knowledge. No. The invitation from Jesus to you is to all who labor and are heavy laden. And the promise, I will give you rest. Church, as we wait for the promises made to come to final fulfillment, in this in-between time, let us follow the example of David in Psalm chapter 57. Let us take cover. Let us find refuge. Let us uh, find acceptance and find security in Jesus, the one who came, the one who died, the one who rose again for you, the one who came from heaven for you, the one who lived a life that we couldn't live for you, the one who was placed in a tomb for you, the one who walked out, defeating sin and death for you forever. He is the same one who calls you, come.